Welcome to The Lifted Podcast. I'm your host, Helen Dunham, and this is a place for us to talk about what we're doing every day to raise our vibration and understand ourselves more deeply as energetic beings and co-creators. All right, everybody, welcome to another episode. If you're new here, I'm Helen Denham. I'm a mindset mentor for women. I really help women heal at a subconscious level first and foremost so that they can initiate radical change from a place of peace and ultimately create a life that feels like heaven on earth. So today we have Cameron Rosen joining us. We're talking about the power of perspective, living on purpose, plant medicine, having a relationship with social media, and so much more. So Cameron is a registered nurse by trade who specializes in holistic health and the application of plant-based medicines. Cam teaches doctors, pharmacists, and patients how to utilize cannabis to facilitate optimal health and well-being. He's passionate about applying modern neuroscience, ancient philosophies, and actionable health strategies to help people become independently healthy and independently happy. His intention is to generate impact and facilitate self-change and to expand and strengthen awareness. So while you're listening, you can find Cameron on Instagram at Cameron Rosin, also on TikTok. He's got an awesome page and I'm at Helen Denham underscore. So as always, hit us up. Let us know what you're learning. We'd love to hear from you. Enjoy the episode and I'll talk to you on the flip side. First question I love to ask us is how do you like to start your day off? Do you have any rising routines or rituals that you go to? Mm. Yeah, the morning should be ritualistic. Um, I've found that adding a ritualistic element into it kind of helps to consolidate that energy and you can direct it more effectively as you move into your day. Like if I don't run my day, my day will run me. And you get to the end of the day and I've been working all day, but I don't think I've done anything. I've been just like, you know, scattered and frantic. Whereas, you know, it, you should take the time to warm up your mind and your body gently because expecting to wake up and just put your foot on the gas and go isn't how we're designed to operate. So wake, move, meditate. And then from there, uh, I try to get a bit of writing in as well because that helps to create a stopgap between yesterday and today so that you're not carrying all of yesterday's tabs and craziness into today. just gives you an opportunity to begin again. I love that, like a purging through your writing in a way of the of the day before. Do you have any prompts that you go to? Is it a stream of consciousness? What do you like to write about? Stream, stream of consciousness. Um, no expectation on the quality of writing or the outcome of the writing. Um, sometimes I'll find when I go back through that um, there are little bits and pieces that I can take from that writing, but generally it's just supposed to um, remove any kind of barrier between what's in there and what comes through the pen. So if I can get that as clear as possible, allow the thought as it comes up to go through the pen. Um, I'll often start off the writing with saying, I don't know what I'm writing about right now, but I'm sure I'll find it along the way. And then I usually find it along the way. That is a great tip for anybody who feels like they get blocked with writing too, and they don't know what to do. Like just accepting that you don't know and just letting like randomness come up. That's all right. Love that. And then your meditation practice, what does that look like? Uh, that changes day by day. There are so many different modalities for meditation. Um, and I think that a lot of us kind of get stuck in um, 
you know, some of the more ancient practices and they certainly have their place and there's something that I fold back on. Uh, but it depends on what I'm going for. If I'm going for, uh, you know, creativity and clarity, it'll be some kind of open monitoring practice where I'm just trying to immerse myself in the sounds of the birds and the cars driving past and the, the leaves rustling in the trees. Um, if it is something to do with, uh, you know, energy, then I'm going to do some kind of transformative breath work. Um, <clears throat> anything that, any kind of breath work that has a longer inhalation than an exhalation is going to be more energizing. Whereas if you extend the exhalation and shorten the inhalation, it's going to be more relaxing and soothing. So in the morning, it's usually uh, an open monitoring practice just to kind of, uh, again, begin again, let the barriers dissolve. And then in the afternoon, it's some kind of transformative breath work usually something uh, that prompts a little bit of adrenaline and dopamine. So something like the Wim Hof method, Tumo breath uh, along those lines, um, something elevating to transition into the different segments of your day. Mm -hmm. What I'm really picking up here too, is the power of intention and just having intentionality, but in your risings and of course, throughout your day as well. So I would love to know like your journey, how did you even get into speaking into mindfulness and exploring consciousness and opening up this wider conversation with your audience now? Like, how did you get to this point where this has become your focus? Curiosity. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Curiosity is just a hack. Um, if you are just following your curiosity, it makes learning easy. It, I go back to a quote by Naval Ravikant. Um, one of my favorite thought leaders and, you know, he says to find something that looks like work to others, but feels like play to you. And if you can do that, then, um, it just kind of unlocks the, the gateways of potential because if you're curious, it's just this natural, um, energetic vessel that allows you to dive into whatever it is in front of you. And it sinks in and imprints in a different way. Um, this, exploration of mindfulness and consciousness comes from that perpetual curiosity and desire to keep finding better and better questions to ask about the reality that we inhabit and perceive and how we can shift that to uh, better our lives, make existence not, not only more palatable, but exciting and enriching, um, sparking joy within yourself in order to spark joy in everybody else. Uh, comes back to a quote by the Buddha, which is, uh, may I s attain enlightenment for the benefit of all sentience. And it really does have that wonderful rippling effect outwards. Like if you do the inner work that that spreads, it's contagious. And I think that in an age where we have this much access to you know, limitless information, it's more a process of stripping that back and realizing that it's not about knowing what to do. It's about doing what we know and we know what to do. In many circumstances. Mm, yeah. So it's like this dance between curiosity and surrendering into the unfolding and also mm. remembering who you are at the same time. I love that. Mm. I feel like that's what prompted me to even start this podcast because we get each other's brains going to start to explore a little bit more. But um, what are you curious about now? What have you been diving into reading? Like, what are you curious about right now? Um, look, I always find myself um, getting drawn back into the the realms of, of neuroscience and, and philosophy. I think that I've been um, diving back into the, into the study of uh, Zen and Shoshin and Buddhism, just because it's, it's one of the most applicable uh, utilitarian philosophies. Like it's 
the path of least resistance, not through avoidance, but through going towards that resistance and being able to cultivate peace internally uh, in response to the perpetual, you know, madness of existence. It's, it, you know, a process of taking responsibility for that, for your role in that, uh, abandoning any kind of you know, blame or victimhood at the, oh, the world keeps doing this to me. Why is it like this? It's like, well, it's going to keep throwing more of what you're giving out back to you until you understand that. And then once you understand that and take responsibility for that, then what's thrown at you is a completely new set of challenges. And the story of Buddhism and the process of Buddhism is really about finding your flow within that, like the Tao, the way, this wonderful um, cyclical nature of our lives and the little mini evolutions that we have within that. And then I've also been uh, getting another hyperfixation for for history again, and these new uh, flare-ups of understanding that are coming from other people exploring their curiosity, people like Graham Hancock and Randall Carlson that are quite literally rewriting history as we know it um, in terms of human civilizations and how many really have come before us and the catastrophic impacts of you know, living in a quite a hostile universe. And, you know, finding our place within that, it's both humbling um, and very exciting to know that we don't really know. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I love that. It is a really interesting time that we find ourselves in because we have all these luxuries of communication. We can kind of work for wherever we can kind of live our dream and whatever that's going to look like. But then we have this whole other set of unique challenges that come with our generation in particular with technology and nervous system regulation and just the amount of input that we get on a daily basis. It used to be like people would live throughout the day, they'd get their food, they'd make a meal, they'd work in the field or whatever. Now we're like, we could have a hundred meetings in a day and somehow survive that. Um, so my question for you, I guess, is when you are met with challenge or difficulty or like adversity in the little moments of the day, how do you process that and alchemize it? What do you come back to, to move through uh, discomfort? It's a great question. I think it comes down to having a lot of, um, little personalized reset buttons, uh, that are applicable to different situations and scenarios. You might also call them behavioral antidepressants. Just that little toolkit that you can fall back on when you feel a certain way. It's a combination of you know awareness and then in implementation, information and integration. Like there's no point in having all of the awareness if we're not actually utilizing it. And so, first of all, our the actual flavor of our awareness is important because loving awareness is a lot easier to uh, prompt change from than a shameful awareness. And so, like loving awareness is, oh, I'm aware that. I've engaged in this type of behavior and I can see that I can do that differently now because I'm coming at it from a loving place. It's easy to go and change that. Whereas a shameful awareness is, oh, I'm wrong. There's something wrong with me, in which case there's no real hope for change. So why would I? And so it's you know just the, the, the lens through which you perceive yourself is an important place to start. And then from there, if I'm confused, I will write. If I'm tired, I will read. If I'm anxious, I will walk. Um, if I'm lacking motivation or energy, I will take a cold shower. Um, and then when I'm ready to, you know, generate ideas and tap into that kind of infinite creativity that flows through us, it's an open monitoring meditation. I find that just that diversity of stimuli that comes from uh, dissolving into the natural world is where a lot of ideas come from. Um, <clears throat> and then 
utilizing your support network and asking for help when you need to, realizing that nobody does it alone. Uh, anybody that thinks that they're doing it alone is a bit misled because the conditions exist for everything. In order for us to be doing anything that we're doing, the conditions have existed. Therefore, the people exist to help us with those things too. So building out that kind of personal support network that you can come to for mentorship and clarity and guidance, or at least just a, uh, a sounding board is really important. Mm, yeah, behavioral reset buttons especially stuck out to me. I really like the way that you put that and just having a toolkit available to you. And then most importantly, absolutely the lens in which we see our innate goodness or unworthiness, which um, tends to take some work for most people to start to rewrite a story that might have made them feel unworthy. So did you have a situation like that or um, kind of a growing pain of coming to know yourself as like at your core, like a a good person. Um, was there some change that had to happen to bring you to that state of awareness? Um, no, I, I'm not working through the, um, I think a lot of people perceive that when they, when they look at my content, like, oh, he's had to really do a lot of work to come to where he is. Uh, and that's, that's not really the case. I had a really beautiful, loving, nourishing childhood, um, parents that, um, really installed a balance between uh, freedom and fulfillment and, you know, happiness as this kind of overarching goal, but to get there through resilience and finding your own path. I'm not working through deep-seated trauma. I, I really started off a, from a wonderful platform. Um, and a lot of my experience was a process of um, finding out who I was because I was always bouncing between countries. Like I was living between America and Australia for essentially my entire life. And because of that, you know, when you're younger, the, the embers of friendship uh, require more consistent stoking. Um, and so you're kind of you know, three months as a child and you go back and the friendship group has completely changed. And so you're always trying to figure out where you fit in. And a side effect of that is feeling like you never fit in. And then a side effect of that is that you've become more um, secure in who you are because you've needed that security because you're not kind of relying on that friendship group to tell you who you are. Popping in for a moment to chat with you about my mentorship offering. This is a private one-on-one -on -one seven-week series with me that is designed for the woman who is ready to change her life. It's for the woman who is ready to feel safe and grounded, clear on what she wants and exactly how to get there. The woman who feels confident in her power and able to express, release emotion and becomes optimistic about what's to come. And we really get you there. We help you to create a new paradigm using habit and routine formation. We explore the subconscious deeply. We activate your highest self and we lean into shadow and alchemize and release that stagnancy, any density that's built up there. Most importantly, we create a space of unconditional compassion, of safety for you to navigate the depths of your experience and to take a look at those triggers and what has been holding you back so that you can create a life that feels like heaven on earth. And I'm at a point now where I have seen such radical change in the women that have come through this container that I guarantee your life will change in a profound way. And to my pleasant surprise, I've actually been working with a lot of women who are budding coaches and mentors themselves. So that's been such a blessing and a pleasure to be 
be of service in that way. I have other women who are with me to simply work on their spiritual growth and dig deeper into who they are as a human being and a spirit having a physical experience. And I have some women who are just navigating big life changes who need support. So if this sounds like you, if this is feeling like this is your call forward to up level in your life and really blossom, especially you know, in this new season that we find ourselves in, you can just go to my website, helendenham.com, and you will find that you can book a free 30 minute power session with me to get to know one another and determine if this is in alignment for you. Okay. Thank you so much for listening back to the episode. Yeah. I love the honesty here too, because it's not like everybody has to go through this big suffering cycle or whatever, but the little things you know, can get to a different person in a different way. So it's like you've you've already built up this layer of resilience, though, however, and chosen a lens. I think choice is so important there and a blessing to have parents that support that. I'm just curious too, like what differences have you noticed between, you know, the mental well-being, spiritual well-being of Americans uh, versus Australians? Anything culturally different? Mm, mm, um, yeah, I that's an interesting question. I think that... Uh, Growing up in the States, I lived in a small town in Montana, a very small town, uh, very rural. There were nine bars and 12 churches uh, for 2,500 people, which is just, there's too many. <laughs> you don't need that many, especially when most of them are the same religion. Um, so they, I think that that small town, they already had the the gateway of spirituality there. And yes, it was kind of prescriptive and a little bit more institutionalized, um, but that that essence of spirituality, the, at least the admittance that there might be something more than what we're seeing. Uh, even though those, the, the people that I grew up with went through the evolution where they were exposed to more information through the internet, through growing up and their ties to that religion uh, were kind of snipped. I think that that um, the awareness of that, that other is still there which means that they were a little bit more receptive later on down the road to these other more expansive ideas in terms of um, your perceptions of what we might call spirituality. Whereas in Australia, there was uh, certainly less religion. I don't know very many religious people at all. And um, part of that, you know, led to a confidence that a confidence in atheism and so a little bit more spiritually malnourished, I might say. But uh, overall, society, Australia is a very level-headed and reasonable society, less extremist. The spectrum of ideologies is, a, is narrower than the United States. Um, with that narrow spectrum of ideology also comes a side effect of uh, kind of maybe a bit of ostracization of the people that are on the edges of that spectrum. There's a bit of tall poppy syndrome, but overall um, I think just society in general globally is far more receptive and at least open-minded to these experiences and ideas than they were before, just because we're you know, exposed to so much information. How could that not prompt you to think? Mm-hmm. Yeah, interesting. It's like there's almost an expansiveness that is outside of the framework of religion or dogmas that are we have so many of those just little niche places to fit into here in the States. So that makes sense. Atheism has been coming up in my mind just this week recently, just a curiosity about it, because I guess maybe 15 years ago, I, like in my teenage years, I would have like considered myself atheist, like 
but now I'm like, I have such a connection to spirit and I'm seeking it out on a daily basis. So, um, how do you maintain a connection with spirit and the universe and, and what is your perception of our connection there? I was also, you know, when I was 15, I was a staunch atheist. Like I knew (laughs) now I'm definitely agnostic. I'm, I'm, uh, there's, it, you know, you have experiences. Um, sometimes they're they're grand and uh, more uh, rich and vibrant and deep, and maybe they're a result of psychedelics or a particular uh, deep flow with meditation or breath work. Um, but it's also in the little things. It's you know going for a walk at sunrise and feeling that kind of sacred energy as the world starts to wake up and you know the the colors are all different i think that we can see whatever we want to see if we have trained ourselves to see it and part of that is this wonderful effect of the placebo um but that placebo really is just the framework through which we are interfacing with reality um there is something that is watching me think the thought that i'm thinking and speak the thoughts that i'm talking about right now and that is this kind of source, this ethereal energy that is able to you know, direct this beautiful subconscious brain and turn that ethereal energy of a thought into something tangible, into something real that people can you know, interact with and that can spark joy in myself and spark joy in others. There's this universal aspect to all of us. Um, the, the thing that is aware of the self, we all have that. That's what we are. That's what we are referring to when we describe oneness. And what we see is a lot of that oneness that um you know highest self so to speak trapped in the you know neural pathways of suffering for so many people right like you see somebody that is so uh inflamed and activated the people that are already at a you know an emotional six by the time they get in the car to go to work in the morning and it's it's easy when that person cuts you off in traffic or yells at you to to react with that same energy. But when you know that that is suffering and it's a subconscious uh, tomb, so to speak, that's stopping that, that oneness, that realization from coming to the surface, it leaves you with a lot more empathy and you can translate that negative energy into compassion and love and awareness. And that has its own rippling effect. I don't have any kind of certainty when it comes to you know, the realms of spirituality or consciousness or the source or the divine. What I know is that I feel that some days more than others. Some days I'm more receptive to it. And some days that the trivialities of life just derail you, Mm -hmm. which is, you know, strange to have these experiences. You can have a morning meditation where you connect to something divine. And then by 2 p.m., you're you're acting like a stressed out maniac. (laughs) Like, where was that? Where was that (laughs) aspect of this? (laughs) Yes. Yeah. And there's so much to be said too about the placebo, which you just brought up too. I remember having this thought earlier on, like, all right, so I have a choice. Like either I can decide that there's nothing else that I'm just this like animal essence with nothing to me. And I'm just like a robot and I'm just going to die and that's it. Or I can choose to believe that I'm deeply supported, that I'm connected to ancestors, that I'm connected to nature. And exactly like you said, like what you seek, you will find. And isn't that a more juicy place to live in regardless? Like I'd rather live in whatever lie we're going to tell ourselves, but I don't believe it's a lie, but like that feels better. I'd rather be happy. That's it. Absolutely. (laughs) So like I'd just rather be happy. Yeah. 
I want to talk to you too about plant medicine and what you've learned from plant medicine, whether it be cannabis or mushrooms, or I don't know what you've played around with and explored, but like, what's been your experience with plant medicine? Um, well, I work very closely with the cannabis plant. Um, that's my you know, actual vocation and uh, field of interest. Again, just something that occurred through the process of curiosity uh, and the interest in the endocannabinoid system, which is this ancient physiological system, maybe our oldest system, 600 million year old biological supercomputer that's job is to regulate all of our homeostasis, which is balance, which is the way, which is the Tao, which is Buddhism, which is in Zen. You know, this is a physiological system that really is also philosophical, uh, philosophical, which, you know, every scientific uh, concept and subject, the deeper you go, the more philosophical it gets. Everything is philosophy when you reach its core. Um, the reason that, you know, cannabis has been of such interest is because it's always been a, an integral tool within our kit um whether we had legal access to it or not it's always been there it will always be there and nobody's ever taught how to use it of course like like anything that's been criminalized and so through the you know side effect of people not being able to learn how to use it people use it in a way that might not be a healthy relationship but by establishing healthy relationships with these tools bringing in the um the very tangible and profound effects of intention and mindful medicine and using the medicine, not as the sole thing, but as part of the equation of self growth with the idea that the rest of the equation is what you might be able to engage in. Once that medicine helps uh, enhance your capacity to engage. The wonderful thing about cannabis is that it prompts this tangential thinking. Um, These, alternative ways of connecting the dots uh, that can lead to those little mini epiphanies about the world around you, about your relationships, about yourself, about um, your life, but it still leaves you with the coherency of thought to be able to use that and function with it. You know, write down those ideas, use them to create, and then you can use those ideas to then, you know, embody them and prompt real change. Uh, You know, other psychedelics and compounds, they certainly have that uh, possibility and potential to induce profound shifts in the way that we are viewing the world, but it can be difficult to translate some of those perceptual shifts into uh, ideas that we can integrate because a lot of those um, new ideas come to us in the form of an energy and understanding. And that understanding is not necessarily in the form of words. And it comes to the difference between knowing something and understanding something. You can know that that love is the answer because you've read it in lots of books and you've heard the monks speaking about it and the people that that appear to be enlightened speaking about it. And you can see that there's something there and you know that. But until you have an experience that really makes you understand it, it's hard to pair those two together. I know lots of things because I've read them and I've memorized those little facts and tidbits of information, whether I understand them though, is an entirely different thing. Like what I understand that scope is much smaller than the things that I know. Um, But cannabis to me is just this wonderful catalyst that can really induce massive change in one's life when done with intention and mindfulness and presence and guidance and support. 
Yeah. So powerful. It's reminding me of that saying like wisdom is knowledge applied. Um, and I'm remembering, mm. I've had such an interesting like wave of uh, a relationship with cannabis because I mean, I used to smoke every day, all day, but it would be an absent kind of engagement um, where I wasn't setting an intention. Then I, you know, would get anxious, you know, for a decade, <laughs> like, well, not a decade, but like since college basically. And then recently, I don't know if you know, Flynn Skidmore, he's been on, he's great, but he just did a reel. And someone was like, where do you get your ideas? Are you like smoking weed or taking shrooms? And he was like, yeah, <laughs> sometimes it comes <laughs> through there and I get insights. So he inspired me like a couple of weeks ago to just like, you know, smoke some weed and just see what came through to like move through the anxiety. Because I was like, if it's going to come up, it has something to show me. And of course mm. I go on this kind of tangent kind of thinking like you were mentioning. And as soon as I got scared, I was like, well, let's put the, um, energy in motion. Let's like get some movement. in. so I went on a walk and I started to look at people and just notice like in my frontal mind, like where I might be judgmental or like, what's the first thing that comes up. And then I just found that it gave me this objective lens to see my brain working in a different way. And I definitely had some, I guess, kind of profound insights for me or little pings that were like, whoa, okay, this is how I'm perceiving another human being. Here's where I can open my Mm. heart up more. And just walking really helped me to move through that instead of sitting in stillness, just to do something with um, kind of the gift of that insight. And then, yeah, again, like mushrooms brought in embodiment. Um, I feel like it brings us into the body and the mind in a really integral way. And then I think the the work like dream work and Reiki and the, and working in those realms have gotten me into the energetic, like tangible understanding. But yeah, it's interesting to to hear about your relationship with it and what it's been teaching you and how that becomes expansive because um, it gives you a, a microscope into the brain, doesn't it? It it really does. And it also, I find that, um, I mean, I'll do, I, I, I'll use cannabis before I record my own podcast because I find that I will hold more space for myself. I'm less likely to rush through uh, a sentence and words in order to fill the void. I will actually allow my brain to uh, present a more coherent stream of consciousness as opposed to this rushed one where I'm trying to, I don't know, get through to the end of something. It's, um, it's, it, it shifts the way that you look at the world around you. It shifts the way that you look at yourself and it's a lesson in surrender. Because when that anxiety comes up, fighting it just gives it more power. Surrendering to it allows you to flow with whatever lessons it might uh, instill within you. And you're right. The, the movement is a really uh, a core aspect of dealing with any type of anxiety. Anxiety is physical. It's, it's physical energy. We think that we are thinking creatures that feel, but we are feeling creatures that think. The feeling comes before the thought. Um, the feeling leads the thoughts. And so if in order to move with anxiety, we need to move with anxiety. That energy is fight or flight. It is designed to um, protect or perpetuate, get you out of the situation. And so when we use the body to intervene with something as simple as a walk, it could be a five minute walk, a 10 minute walk. And you know, use our awareness and send it to the contractions of our muscles and our breath and our heartbeat. We are giving our body what it wants, what it needs in that moment. And that right there is the most profound thing that you can do for anxiety. Love that. Yeah. Cause it's literally like we're in fight or flight. We need to move. We need to flee. Mm. Yep. <laughs> so the walk is like, give it like a, a sensation in the body. It's like, okay, we're running. So you can feel better now. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's such a good point. Yeah. 
Yeah. There's so much to think about. Did you see fantastic fungi, that documentary on mycelial networks and mushrooms and everything? Um, I haven't watched it yet, but I've been a big full, uh, fan of Paul Stamets for a long time. He's this this wonderful little mushroom man with his little mushroom hats, and he's just the sweetest little creature ever. And, I love you know, that mycelial man. Networks. Yeah. Yeah, I love him too. <laughs> um, the the mycelial networks, I think, will be a, a another shift in the understanding of uh, this this network of intelligence that we find ourselves within. Um, and it's you know, mycelial networks are. Uh, something that we can look at and make correlations to our own brain and our own neural pathways, uh, even down to things like network pharmacology, which is, you know, just this principle of actually how we operate, how our um, you know, physiological systems operate. We are not determined and controlled by isolated singular monomolecular compounds. We are this vast network of pharmacological actions, trillions of interactions happening at all times and that's what this mycelial network does as, as well. It comes into contact with a little bit of food on this far edge, this far perimeter, and suddenly the entire network knows about it. And the entire network can then utilize that as food. And that that oneness, this great structure is growing together. And now we're in this era of you know generalization, the era of the generalist, you know, kind of edging away from specialization and reaching a place where I think we do uh, have more of a collective understanding of the collective consciousness and anything that comes into that collective consciousness into the zeitgeist is shifting consciousness as a whole. And the mycelial network is this great you know, example of that that we can watch in real time. And we go, oh, well, it's just roots under the ground. It's just mushrooms. It's like, no, this is just as, as vastly complex and interconnected as we are. Mm. Yeah, I think you would love this documentary because it really gets down to that core. It's like this, it's this understanding of like this network as family, like our most ancient ancestors that go all the way back and we carry that in our DNA. So it's almost like when we take mushrooms, it connects us to ancient wisdom. Um, it's almost like a shamanic journey to journey back to kind of the beginning of all that oneness. And I think this is a conversation too about like how emotions connect us to that oneness together. Um, and because at the end of the day, like, I don't know, like what you're seeing through your eyes, but our emotions connect us and our stream of consciousness connect us. But it's like this funny thing where it's like, I don't know if you're seeing the same color blue that I'm seeing, but if something can emotionally compel us to connect, that feels that's love. That is like, I think what we're getting at where this all signs lead to love and that choice. And that's the big answer. That's where it really makes sense. And like where we seem to find proof in that. That's just kind of like a mini tangent on the side there. But I, I love it. It's uh, yeah. you're right. I mean, it's the, like when you, you know, if you, if you ever go into a, you know, a big concert or like an outdoor music festival and you may be late to the set and you're walking down the hill and there's an amphitheater full of people all swaying in the same way, all just you know, completely uh, attuned and, and aligned with the, the vibrations coming from that stage. And you see this, this unified, coherent pocket of energy that transcends you know, the, the written parameters of our verbal language. And it really is something that is a, a binding energy. I think that we you know, are in the space where we are still trying to rationalize um, and apply logic to 
emotions. Um, but again, it's a different form of communication that we're using. And that form of communication isn't always applicable in that verbal written sense. And so it's, you know, challenge to drop our preconceptions and our ideas of what this communication should be and the desire to explain everything um, and explain everything about how we're feeling and, and put words to everything. Um, it, it means that we're always trying to look back on something that's just trying to be rather than allow that to be. Mm, yeah, beautifully said. This is where it's like interesting to look at linguistics and language too, because all these different languages have words for something that we might not even have in the English language, for example, like, you know, just ways of describing aspects of life to put language to it. Um, when in reality, like beneath all of that, the emotion just is, it's just in existence. Um, to switch us into a different topic for a moment, I'd love to hear about like your relationship to social media, to technology as a creative, as a creator that's connecting using these platforms. Like, how do you find a harmony with with lifestyle and technology? Because I'm I also am I love to create. And it's like, where's that balance? Mm. Uh it's it's interesting because it's the idea of uh intention reversal kind of comes into play where you might utilize one of these platforms or all of these platforms with the intention to create, with the intention to connect. Um, but then if there's any measure of success, it can have this opposite effect because now, um, you know, when there are so many people trying to connect to you, you, you just can't possibly direct that much consciousness and that much attention and that much energy towards it. If mm -hmm. I'm using the platform, I'm not creating. So I tend to not really use the platforms. I um, have a, you know, a partner, a friend, my one of my best friends, Joe, who was the person that you know, encouraged me to do it in the first place. And he encouraged me so well that he's like, look, all right, let, just send it all to me and I'll handle all of it. And I just said, so okay. And so I'll just like film stuff and I'll just text it to him. And then he just does everything. And uh, he keeps up with the inbox and he'll just screenshot me messages to reply to. And I find that that is definitely the most uh, sustainable way for me to do things because it's it's too much otherwise. Like I've always, well before I had any kind of social media um, audience, I uh, had challenges in replying to people. I felt it was deeply unnatural to be contactable at all hours of the day. Um, I am, you know, I, I, I don't use the terms introvert and extrovert very much because I think that's, you know, we're non-duality, we are all of these things but I certainly am a person that enjoys my solitude and my um, healthy isolation and connecting when I want to connect. And when I feel like connecting, I don't, I try not to allow the pressure of, um, you know, posting on a consistent basis to get to me. Like if I haven't had time or if I haven't had the energy to create, um, then, then it's a sign to turn my gaze inwards and focus on uh, restoration and recuperation and um, input because you can't uh, put it out all the time and it's realizing or becoming aware of what you're actually doing with these platforms. Are you giving or are you getting? Because getting is, you know, the dopaminergic addiction to likes and engagement and um, growth in that sense. But giving is, is different. Giving is the thing that you do with intention without the expectation associated with it. And you can only give so much. You need to have times to, again, draw yourself back, go read your books, go for a walk, do things just for the sake of enjoying them without any expectation on that translating into 
your creative process, but all of that translates into your creative process. Like mm -hmm. the actual process of creating that that video or that that written piece, that piece of music, whatever it is that your creative process is, that the action of doing that creation is just that final piece of the formula. The rest is all of this intangible human experience that goes into your your data bank stored in your subconscious mind. So you need to have that input and then you need to have the space for your mind to make those connections and correlations and associations and put together those new pieces. And rather than forcing the pieces together, you allow them to sift into place. It's like pouring you know, sand into something. You watch it sift into place. And then when it's ready, it's ready. This is fascinating. I love that you've got a buddy like taking over the uh, the posting part and you're able to just kind of live your life. Um, and honestly, it's kind of an act of rebellion in this day and age to take back your freedom to a degree and take mm. back your sovereignty and just exist without needing to show and prove and get in the cycle of desire. And um, yeah, it's kind of easy to forget sometimes that these you know, apps are designed on like slot machines to kind of keep us really activated very specifically. It's like, let's not mm -hmm. forget that. And I, I've got to remind myself of that too, to just kind of check out for a moment and exist to exist, not just to document, not everything has to be shared. There's like a sacredness to having an experience just for you. Um, it's like that saying, like make mm -hmm. art and don't show anybody. Yeah. It's it's the the last or the next frontier of colonization is our attention. We've colonized all the land and now it's colonizing our minds, it's colonizing our attention because if they get our attention, they have our energy and if we they have our energy, that's where our time and our money follow and if they have our time and money, they have us. And so it is an act of rebellion to say no, this is my attention. I will spend it how I choose, how I choose to do so. It will not be dictated by this thing. You know, using something like the do not disturb is a critical aspect of being. Making sure that your morning does not have the introduction of tech into it is a critical aspect of maintaining and conserving your energy. Because as soon as we allow this in, it has the potential to control our day for us, to control just the release of our neurochemicals and the results in our lives that those prompt. It, it, you know, when I first started doing the social media, I was, you know, listening to Gary Vee and all those guys, and I, I still find lots of value in what they say, but it's not, I don't, I don't allow anything to be prescriptive, and I try not to be prescriptive in turn. When I say that, I mean, I will never um, tell people what the ultimate morning routine is, because it's their morning, it's up to them to figure out what works for them. And they should try, they should try a bunch of things until they find what sticks, but don't expect you know this is the five-step plan for success it's like that was a five-step plan for your success but we're all going to be different we're going to have our own little unique flavors to it and when gary v said you should be posting three to four pieces of organic content a day i was like mm, what about three a week that seems more my pace like you need to be posting five to six stories a day i'm like that sounds absolutely preposterous i have things to do i you know yeah. i my my what i put out there is i'm i'm giving i'm not i'm not in it for getting. I don't want to um, tie my value as a creator, as a being to engagement rates and um, the, you know, cheap dopaminergic pleasures of seeing, you know, numbers pop up on a screen. I think that what we're trying to do here is more than that. At least I'd like to think so. And that could be the, you know, the human ego coming into play. Of course it, it is, but it's a, it's a protective aspect that helps me to, um, 
remain grounded, right? Like I started this year off with no audience, no followers. Now there's like 400,000 of them. That's, that's a lot for the human brain to comprehend. And so in order to install protective measures against that and ensure that I'm still you know, living a life that is fulfilling, um, that is not tied to the, uh, you know, adoration or praise or, um, you know, dopamine, dopaminergic rush of that, then it's important to decide how to use it effectively. Because if you don't know why you're using your phone, it's using you. And so intention comes into all things. Mm-hmm. You just gave me a mind blowing moment there just to pinpoint the next frontier of colonization being our attention. That's so huge. Yeah, absolutely. I think that's going to be in my psyche. <laughs> yeah, major. <laughs> but you know what? It really comes through um, your your content and your your gift and your, your shares. Um, you feel that from you. You feel a sense of freedom. And I think that's why people are like kind of moths to a flame probably to your message is because you exist in that energetic space of just like freedom, to be honest. And um, speaking of videos, I was just watching one of yours before hopping on with you um, talking about desire and this attachment to desire and being kept in a cycle of like craving almost. Mm -hmm. So I think you're just like really getting into that juiciness there by not being attached to the adoration to the likes when you really could be. Um, but it would yeah. take away from your your energetic blueprint, which so clearly comes through in your space of freedom. Energetic blueprint. What a wonderful uh, set of words. Uh, thank you. I, I appreciate that. I mean, it's been, it's been a strange process because the brain wants and the ego wants you to think that they are there for you. That the ego wants you to think that these people are here for you and what you are saying. They're there for the words. They're there for what they see of themselves in you, whether they realize that or not. Uh, we see the world as we are. So anybody that resonates with it, I want them to understand that they resonate with it, not because of what I am saying or not because of who I am, but because of what they are. If they weren't, if they didn't have that inside of them, it wouldn't hit, it wouldn't resonate, it wouldn't impact them. And it's looking less at the speaker of the truth and looking more at the truth they are speaking, but using that truth as a signpost to the truth rather than the truth itself. Because the truth is just a, an evolutionary process that occurs through continuing to ask questions. And it's up to you as an individual to look at what the truth is that is being said, and then use that to find your own. Mm, I'm just going to encourage people listening to like play that one back. Uh, yeah, there's so much in there, just like not bringing on the identity of the all knowing, but almost like as a channel of truth itself to just be expressed. I love mm. that. Cameron, thank you so much for being here. I could ask you questions for a year, but um, I, I want to encourage people to get to know you more deeply. What's the best way to connect with you? What's your preferred way to connect? Um, I've read the uh, the podcast. This might be helpful. Uh, there's a Q&A on there. Um, it's been you know an evolutionary process within itself as well. I'll, uh, I'll finally be in a, a house as of next week and have the whole podcast studio set up and take live calls and I'm very excited for that aspect and, um, you know, really fostering this, you know, this, that, that podcast platform. You can find me on all social media channels at Cameron Rosin and then my website, this might be helpful.com. Great. Perfect. I'll link that below, but thank you so much sure. for being here. What a great conversation. So cool to get thank in your you mind for, for a me. moment. You're so welcome. All right. Oh. Talk to you soon. Have a great rest right. of your day. 
All right, my friends, thank you so much for being here and hanging out with us today. I hope you're feeling inspired and lifted and called to action in some area of your life. And as always, everything mentioned is linked in the description below. And final note on my end is that I'm running full moon circles every month, which is so exciting. It's the perfect opportunity for us to come together as sisters and community as we navigate the different cosmic energies at play. So I'll take us through an oracle card reading. We'll do journal prompts together, and then I'll take you through a guided hypno journey, which is like a beautiful visualization journey for about 30 minutes. So come in your comfy clothes, light a candle, bring your journal, and just get ready to have a really nice time together. Um, I'll leave the link in the description below for the next one. And if you have any questions or just want to chat and get in touch, I'm on Instagram at Helen Denham underscore and at the lifted podcast. Okay. Thank you so much for being here and I will talk to you on the next one. Bye for now. Mm -hmm.